Hey, I'm Alex. And I'm Brandon. And welcome to Living Electric. We're both content creators and electric vehicle enthusiasts. And through this podcast, we hope to share our experience with owning electric vehicles and help you join the electric life. Cool. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Living Electric. We're here with uh, EV enthusiast, EV industry expert, Matt Stevens-Rich. How long have you been in the EV industry? When did you kind of jump into it? Well, you just called me like a veteran, so I'm like, oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> we try so, to hype uh, everybody up here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, geez, geez, this this ripe old age of 33. Um, no, so uh, including internship going on 10 years, actually, uh, wow. rolling right around wow. to it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And where did you get yeah. your start at? Yeah, yeah. So the the uh, about me section uh, of, of the podcast, so. So I really got started. Honestly, it was all an accident is, is like the short answer. Um, so I started doing grad school. Uh, I went to undergrad, uh, thought I wanted to become a national park ranger, actually. So I moved out to California for a little bit to try to make it into the park service. Um, that didn't really work out because it turns out a lot of people want to do that, too. So interesting. Um, I know. Right. <laughs> so I found my way back to uh, Columbus to go to grad school at Ohio State, uh, specifically the Jet, then John Glenn School of Public Affairs, now John Glenn College, um, and was specifically focusing on energy policy with a master's in public administration. But on the way, I uh, was applying around to internships, and there was this internship for this nonprofit called Clean Fuels Ohio that did work in alternative fuels and transportation sounded really fun. So, so I submitted in, um, got the internship and they liked me enough to keep me around after I graduated. So I became projects manager there for a couple of years, got to, um, clean fields, Ohio is a department of energy, clean cities coalition, which is a yeah. whole national network of, uh, nonprofits and, and quasi governmental organizations that are meant to be go-to resources for all things, alternative fuels. So really got my teeth cut on everything, um, compressed natural gas, propane, biofuels, EVs. And then along the way, we submitted, or rather supported, uh, the city of Columbus's submission to the U.S. Department of Transportation Smart Cities Challenge, which mm-hmm. uh, was this huge, huge competitive bid on $50 million uh, for smart cities projects, including electrification. Uh, the city won it, which was very exciting, and then they needed someone to help run that in-house. So that's when I joined where I now work, Electrification Coalition, which is a national nonprofit that works in scale deployment of EVs, both on the policy and implementation side. But uh, at the time, EC was a uh, implementation partner to the Smart Columbus. So that's how I kind of kept the same job, just changed jerseys in a way. Yeah. Um, and, and so started started with Smart Columbus, but since then, I've, uh, I oversee a lot of our other programmatic and implementation work uh, across across the board. So it's any given day is different, uh, <laughs> literally one to the next, which keeps it fun. For sure. Yeah, I was really impressed with a lot of the work Smart Columbus did. And I think that's when we first met because you all hosted some events for for Drive Electric Columbus. Um, obviously, the the rollout of the uh, like ride and drive events, I feel like was kind of your like number one achievement there. I'm not sure how much you had to do with that directly, but could you speak to that and kind of how successful that was? Yeah, yeah, it. 
I mean, honestly, you know, so in the way that we're really thinking about it, Smart Columbus continues to live on. It is actually now its own nonprofit in terms of okay. operation, which is pretty cool. They're they're trying to tackle both transportation topics as well as moving into other spaces such as um, solar and uh, uh, basically collective community purchasing of renewable energy. Um, a lot of cool new spaces they're trying to move into. Back during what we are now dubbing Smart Columbus 1.0, which was the initial uh, programmatic funding, indeed, there was it, it was all focused on transportation. Uh, the way the Department of Transportation framed it was uh, creating elevated ladders of opportunity through transportation. So it, it a lot of cities, especially over the last couple of years, have tr- tried to grapple with the, the definition smart city and what that entails. Some yeah. of them do it as telecommunications or, you know, other approaches. So in the Columbus perspective, we were approaching it from a transportation thought. And indeed, electrification was a, a really important vertical of it alongside autonomous and, and other technologies um, therein. So like you mentioned with the EV side of it, oh my gosh, there there's a lot of work that was going on in there. Um, with my work, I, I really oversaw it mostly on the fleet and um, charging side, mm. uh, so fleet electrification and charging yeah. deployment. But indeed, we had a whole consumer adoption program, um, a marketing firm hired on to manage the ride and drives. It, it was dozens and dozens of staff every day working on it. Um, it's unfortunate that COVID hit when it did because we really yeah. were getting ready to do really cool big announcements. But um, all in, we did over 11,000 Rhine drives over the course of uh, two years, which at least, and, and if anyone has any better stats, please like reach out because we always, <laughs> we were always trying to validate it uh, or at least like gut check it against others. But we kept, uh, we're pretty sure that that is the most Rhine drives ever conducted in the world in that short period of a time. National Drive Electric Week has more Rhine drives, but over a longer period of time, which is awesome. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, actually, Alex, as you got to experience the, the secret sauce to that was taking the ride and drive experience to workplaces. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Essentially, people are looking for a great excuse to not work. But, um, <laughs> but it's so true. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, by creating it as a, it was a, a quick and easy curated 30 minute experience, you signed all the documents you had to ahead of time. So you just get a text message, come down, come on down, you pre-select your vehicle even. And so that way you're just in and out. And by doing that, that's how we had a a really successful throughput of, of folks. Um, and indeed we were able to work with a lot of workplaces. We hosted Ryan drives at the, uh, uh, smart, Columbus Experience Center, which was a downtown location. Uh, Alex, I think that's actually where you and I did an earlier recording on your YouTube channel uh, you're right. where, yeah. where you're doing a <laughs> review. Um, so yeah, all in, that was that was a, one part of our consumer adoption, which was complemented by an electrified dealer program we were running, as well as other um, consumer adoption engagements. On the charging side, uh, again, a lot of different verticals of work there, but the kind of key takeaway, and again, one I wish we could have really uh, 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 tipped our hat on was when we're going back through the numbers, um, in 2019, the city with the largest proportional growth in chargers in the United States actually was Columbus. And and that was thanks in part to the uh, charging work that we were doing. When I say charging work, it really was Day in, day out, a lot of hand-holding with workplaces, uh, <laughs> commercial properties, multi-unit dwellings, uh, essentially anyone. Um, 
we were fortunate that AEP uh, Ohio had incentive funding out, but more so to that, um, it, it, and it was our experience, you really had to get out in the community, really really work angles to, to be sure folks were getting their submissions in or just going forward with charging deployments. So that was that was a lot of my day to day alongside just <laughs> Uh, just a lot of a lot of different action happening all at once. Oh, that's yeah, awesome! Just, yeah, go ahead, Brandon. Oh, I uh, Matt, I was just going to ask. So, like, some of your previous experience with working with like charging deployment and like kind of like all the aspects that involved with that. How does that tie into your new position? Yeah, so it it definitely builds builds on itself. Um, if there's anything, especially those that are like. Those that are new coming to the space, be it EV enthusiasts that just picked up their first EV and they're just really excited to be engaging, or the you know the guy who's moving on to their third or fourth EV, it, it really is it really is kind of cool getting to connect with those folks and, and you know talking about it from the EV owner perspective. But it, it's really important to kind of recognize everything is moving so much faster, more and more um, that it's. It's kind of like that line from Ferris Bueller's Day Off where it's, you know, look around every once in a while or else you might, just might miss it. Uh, you know, when I started as an intern, I and I openly have joked about this with, with uh, colleagues just to really date myself. When I started as an intern on the EV side, we really had three vehicles. It was the Nissan Leaf, the Chevy Volt, and the Tesla Model S had just been dropping in the Roadster with it. And we were we were astounded. It's like, wow, what more do you need? You have your budget EV, <laughs> you have your luxury EV, and you have your plug-in hybrid. I mean, you know, and, and one's even kind of a quasi hatchback. That's that's yeah. awesome. Um, and you know, of course, flash forward to now, we have over two hundred models and counting uh, and more. I just read the Dodge Challenger and Charger will yeah. no longer be ICE as of twenty twenty four, which just boggles wow. my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, yeah, when I saw that news story, it just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, finally, like, <laughs> it, it's like, look, if I were to just go out and buy an, another ICE vehicle, it absolutely would have to be a Challenger, right? That, that American <laughs> muscle. So it's, it's like, wow, for even um, looking at that. But, you know, reflecting on that, it, it, it really is. Uh, it's just amazing how quickly the market moves. And so with it, you do have to be fresh on your approach or at least try to always be learning. Um, I was actually in a meeting today where we were looking at some older documents and guidances that we use with our fleet uh, electrification work. So that's working with fleet managers to find the best fit for EVs and and navigate you know, all things procurement and otherwise. And we were realizing um, the numbers were off and, and actually, you know, it, it was just a simple thing of really any light duty vehicle is is a total cost savings now on the EV side, unless you you have something that is only driving five miles a day or, you know, you have some very weird parameter. And so it's even those moments like that where even the best guidance that, that we really try to work with, we have to be constantly updating that as well. Um, you know, we talk so much and celebrate a lot about how the market moves. And in turn, that, that means we have to be sure the support, uh, be it the implementation work and, and other best best practice guidance, it's it's moving with it at the same rate. Do you see on the, uh, I guess if you kind of look at it from a like carbon aspect or environmental aspect, you mentioned like you wanted to get a national parks service. I'm guessing you're kind of environmentally driven as well. Um, do you see the fleet implementation and kind of adopting EVs into fleets being able to make a bigger impact than consumers would be able to? 
It's a yes and no kind of answer. Um, and, and actually, as a little bit of framing, uh, with the Electrification Coalition, we actually tackle electrification as an energy security interest. Um, mm, we actually true. just... You know, we just had Veterans Day, so we we hosted this awesome event with veterans that work in the EV industry and are passionate about it. Um, you know, when you when you just simply think about the exposure, and I mean, honestly, the investment we have in military often goes towards protecting our pipelines uh, yeah. abroad and, and oil supply. So electrification is only one, but a big one way to completely eradicate that reliance on foreign oil. Um, it, so it's an interesting angle and approach there. Um, you know, carrying that forward, the reason why fleets are often so much of a focus, and and again, this actually reflects on the market move. Early markets, it really was fleets that were able to make a, an informed, rational procurement decision on EVs more so than consumers. Not yeah. to completely dunk on consumers, but <laughs> um, like you know, the average the average driver doesn't know how. Uh, um, or there's a study out there. The average driver assumes how many minutes they commute to and from work, that is how many miles they also are driving, which mm-hmm. is incorrect. Like if it takes you 30 minutes to drive to work, but you're only going 40 miles an hour, unfortunately the math doesn't work out that way. <laughs> but you know, that's to say uh, th- the reason for the focus on fleets, especially over the last 10 years has just simply been uh, fleet managers are able to often buy more so at scale and, mm-hmm. and also are able to appreciate a, a total cost of operation and total cost savings more so than the average consumer. We yeah. all know, you know, the total cost of operation has totally been in favor of EVs for years. But when 2024 runs around where Bloomberg does project, uh, Bloomberg New Energy Finance projects will be at cost parity just on sticker price alone, I would still anticipate there to be even more piling on of EV purchases just on that, even though the numbers have been favorable to electrification for years. So that's a big part of the reason for fleet. It, it also simply has been a moment, especially on the public side, uh, mayors, city council members, even governors, and, and mm. sometimes presidents are really committed <laughs> to driving uh, electrification as a part of their, uh, be it climate resiliency or climate mitigation efforts. Um, indeed, there's a, you know energy security is, is a really big component to that too, depending on um, the political priority. So fleets have really been a not proving ground necessarily, but but have been a great harbinger for driving that change as the consumer market has really you know picked up. Yeah, Alex and I a few months ago when we were doing research for one of our podcasts, remember that that massive spreadsheet that we found of like all the different fleet vehicles and like which types they were. Yeah, it, I guess I guess the U.S. like publishes their their data on like miles driven in certain vehicles, how many of all of them they own. Like it's insane the like, like scale of gas being burned <laughs> just to yes. operate like yeah. the U.S. <laughs> like blew our minds. We're like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, it's. <clears throat> I mean, working working with those uh, like at large, like what is it like look, working with a fleet? It, it is its own kind of weird world. And, and again, I'm, I'm really fortunate. I've gotten to work with fleet managers, not just on electrification, but on, um, you know, CNG, compressed natural gas and, and other alternative fuel deployments through the years in, in an interesting way. I really kind of got my start working with heavy duty. So that's semi trucks, refuse trucks and garbage trucks, dump trucks, like so that, um, so that that's really where I started my fleet consultancy work. And now that EV options are really coming of age in that market, it's it's really fun getting to come back to that. Um, 
And, and, you know, so too reflecting on the broader, those that do the work with fleet consulting, be it nonprofits like the EC or even private consultants, it, it is a little bit of a interesting shift you have to do in your mindset going from light duty to, to medium and heavy. But, um, yeah, you're, you're talking about, um, you know, gallons of fuel mitigated, uh, VMT vehicle miles traveled. There's, you know, on the charging side, it's a huge question about, are you doing your charging back at depot or do you have to go with a, uh, a spread out charging approach and need to charge midday? It's, it's a lot of different types of questions. Some of it does feel familiar as like a, you know, a driver and consumer of, of vehicles, but there's also other very nuanced questions that, that you can often, um, just find completely surprising or, or something you never really have thought of in terms of that. But the proof's in the pudding, um, especially on cities. We've really focused over the last year, uh, especially you know with quarantine and COVID, keeping us all at home. We we really identified as a core strategy. Let's look at procurement policies or or ordinances, things that we can talk about over Zoom or you know remote and. That's where we really had a lot of success working with cities on what we call an EV first procurement policy. Mm. Again, it's you would think EVs are just they pencil, it makes so much sense to buy, but we are creatures of habits as as humans. Yep. And and procurement uh, managers, they often are gonna just simply approach gas and diesel as the de facto. That's what we we've always done. It works, we'll just keep doing that. So if you're looking to go with an electrified option or indeed anything that's not gas or diesel, you're often having to defend that because you're trying to go against the procurement model. So what if you revise the model, you know, work, work carefully through it, but revise it so that EVs are on top in terms of procurement, and then it goes to other alternative fuels, and then it goes to engine right sizing, and then it goes to vehicle right sizing. Do you need the vehicle at all? And, and finally, you get down to the gas and diesel option. That simple flip, it turns the entire procurement process on its head. Mm. And by making EVs the default, that's how you can really get great scaled approach. So we've had a lot of success working with um, cities. Philadelphia most recently uh, published their plan. Um, it, it does add up. You know, you're talking about a couple thousand vehicles here and there, which by consumer market standards, it's like, oh, a thousand is nothing. But yeah. it, it does actually scale. And what's nice is uh, when properly passed, that's then, you know, that's the policy. So even if there's a mayor shift or, um, you know, someone resigns or, or moves on to a new job, you're able to make sure that new fleet manager, whomever's in charge that comes in, they're able to, you know, pick right back up and, and keep on going. Because overall, we know these next now eight years, we, you know, we told ourselves 10 when it was 20, <laughs> when it was uh, 2020, we're at the end of 2021. Uh, we know we just have to constantly be moving faster and faster on electrification. So this is, you know, how we do it and just make it simple, commonplace. Definitely. I'm sure as, as people see the successes others are having by electrifying, I mean, everybody talks to they're, they're stealing ideas from each other and, and seeing what's working for them and could also work for their business or their city or whatever. So I'm sure that that certainly helps as well. And, and I think the interesting thing, at least from my perspective, is that like I've always had a, a viewpoint on the consumer side of like EV ownership. And I think what's so interesting with like our podcast, Alex, 
talking more about fleet is that this is yeah. opening like new topics for me to try to understand. Um, but, but like, it's funny because like the one conversation we had with Jeff and what I'm starting to notice here is that there's proof in the data and there's proof in education, you know, provide that information and people will adapt. But I think you just have to provide it to people. Like you said, pe- humans are creatures of habit. So yeah. How do you step out of that? <laughs> it's a good approach. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. and, um, Actually, I was recently in like a Twitter convo kind of on the same moment. And and the way I often frame it, because folks, folks are really passionate on this. They're really excited when there's a new toolkit, new resource, uh, a new guide that comes out, which is awesome. These are all tools. And, you know, if you think about what is a tool, a tool doesn't get the work done. It's the carpenter that picks up the hammer that drives the nail. It's not the hammer. Mm-hmm. So that's where I always really encourage folks Yes, take those take those powerful tools, and then you are the carpenter. You need to drive that nail, and you know, uh, almost if if I sum up my day, it's just figuring out how can I drive more nails with less hammers, aka you know, come up with scaled approaches where we can bring even bigger impact from from you know relatively less effort. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's it's never take yourself out of the equation. If if you read that amazing report or something like that. That report isn't going to solve <laughs> the problem or or bring about more more scaled growth. It's going to be you taking that report, even if it's as simple as a conversation with your parents about that next car they're trying to buy. I'm in the middle of that with my mom right now. Um, the Chevy Malibu's <laughs> on its way out, and that new Malibu is looking great. And I'm like, no, mom, um, <laughs> that's that's its own podcast. There is uh, people convincing their parents to go electric, but um, yeah, but yeah actually, it's, that's a good topic idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good Mother's Day topic right there. You're right. Yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> um, but, you know, like like the likes of Chargeway, for instance, it's an amazing tool. And so I I submit, let's take that to the next level. Uh, I mentioned uh, electrified dealer programs, which indeed the EC, we help run a couple of them. We helped launch the one here in Columbus. Uh, we currently run one in Orlando, uh, just launched one in Albuquerque. These are phenomenal programs. They're really great. The only way they work is you got to put sweat equity into it. You have to have someone going and doing the outreach and, and the hard conversations with dealers. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how much you have to convince them that they want to sell cars. But um, Brent, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Brent, as you well know, any time spent off of the sales floor even if it's even if I'm going to train them on how to sell 100 Chevy Bolts in the next hour, if I'm taking them off this floor, I have to have a very very good reason to do that and taking them away from that next sale. So that's where we really we purposely designed those programs as a two way street. You are giving us your time, and for that, we're gonna we're not just giving you tools and resources. We are actively helping add to your sales funnel. So with Smart Columbus, for instance, we elevated dealers that were certified through the program. They were in our collateral. They were featured at Ryan Drives. Um, so we've, we've really found a, those can be helpful avenues where, again, it's not just, they're not just looking for the sticker on the door. They are just looking for the next sale. So if I can bring that consumer to them because I'm doing my work on consumer adoption, um, you know, mm-hmm. that, that helps everybody out. Definitely. How long have you, you drive a, a Leaf right now, right? I do. I do. Okay. I'm like the, I'm, I'm really the grandpa now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, which year I, is it? <laughs> uh, yeah. I was going to ask what year it is. They're still making leaves. So it could be a, <laughs> could be a new one. <laughs> 
So I bought my 2015 Nissan Leaf used, actually, um, okay. because I, I'm weird and somehow wanted to go through the used car buying experience uh, on a on a Leaf, which actually was, <laughs> I, I will say, and again, it's like, yeah, EVs make it so much easier because if you're buying a regular used car, you, you know, you're worrying about the Carfax and you got to, you know, pre-inspect it and stuff like that. With the Leaf, I was like, cool, let me just turn it on. I look at the battery health indicator, which is right on the dashboard. It was at hundred percent. Sweet. Do I have to drive it or can I just sign, you know? Yeah. So, um, so it's kind of nice having the health readout right on the, right on the dash, uh, yeah. something we underestimate, Definitely. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. So we drive a leaf, uh, Alex, you've been to my house, so we also have solar. Have. So I've, I've drank all the Kool-Aid. Um, we have a relatively new heat pump and heat pump water heater. So nice. I've, I've even crawled in the attic to do added insulation. So uh, I, I'm, wow. I'm running out of things to do. I might start moving to my neighbor's houses to yeah, add go. insulation to their <laughs> place you now. Can, you can come up to Cleveland anytime now. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of house projects. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. It, yeah. It's My wife has been great to put up with all of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, it's it's been really fun, you know, both getting into it. Uh, I'm above all else, just lucky that it's just stuff I really enjoy, uh, yeah. so much so that it's not work. Yeah. And that's a bad thing sometimes. Uh, if <laughs> too easy to throw too much time at it, but uh, exactly. no, it's not work if you're passionate about it. Definitely. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask how have those, those conversations changed around, around EVs or even just like electrification for solar as well, going back to when your career started to, to those conversations you're having now. Yeah, the the way I'd probably couch it is charging especially has been the conversation that's changed the most if mm, if, true. if there's a telltale. Um earlier on and, and this is actually uh a couple of years ago, the Department of Energy launched what was called the Workplace Charging Challenge. Um it was the first real collective effort to look at charging at the workplace as a, a cohesive campaign and engagement. Um I helped really implement that for Ohio since I was working at the Clean City Coalition at the time. Uh, we had a lot of great conversations, but everyone kept asking, wait, why do I need charging? Like, I, you know, I look out at my parking lot. I don't see any vehicles out there. So why do I need to put this in? <laughs> um, but then, you know, fast forward to when I was doing workplace charging engagement with Smart Columbus. And it, it changed from why to when. Like, mm -hmm. okay, okay. I it's like I see what you're trying to get at. So when when's a good time to put in charging? And and even in a couple of years, it was very fascinating how quickly that flipped. And even you know now to present day, as we do look to work with cities on creating EV readiness ordinances, which is just simply indoctrinating charging into their building and zoning codes so that a new con new construct or or new building being built has at least the conduit ready to go for charging. Yeah. It's it's so much cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> it's the short answer to do that sure. while you're building it versus retrofit. Anyone that's put in home charging um, knows what I'm talking about on yeah. that. Um, but, you know, even <laughs> then it's talking to developers and others, they're, they're, they're not necessarily supportive of it, but they understand it. Mm. And they're also really sure to clearly define, well, you do know we are actually putting in this many chargers per parking garage. So we don't need this. So it's kind of funny that it, it's not necessarily even a pushback to it. It's just more an open reflection on, well, we're already doing this much, so don't require more than that. And, and so it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's interesting how quickly that, that can really change. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. The, the workplace charging was like kind of what 
the extra push I needed to, to get my car too. Cause I, I was, especially for like people living in apartments or maybe don't have good home charging options. Like that really shows that like, Hey, an EV will work for you. So, um, and it's funny how much like just having people like would always say like, where, like, I've never seen a charger. And now it's like, I can't go, I can't leave my house without seeing at least one depending on where I'm going. So I think that really kind of helps drive adoption in that regard as well. Yeah. You know, I, I got to say, I'm noticing that here in Cleveland too. Like, I, I feel like Cleveland is like one of those like markets that's like slowly getting there <laughs> in terms of EV charging. But I mean, Alex, you can even attest that one time when you're up here, remember we noticed that Tesla charger on that random telephone pole? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were, we were driving, we were like, wait, there's a Tesla destination charger on a telephone pole. Like they're just <laughs> popping up everywhere. <laughs> Did not look up the code. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, there's. We still don't know how that got there, but <laughs> it works. Yeah, That's right. yeah. I mean, yeah. even um, at, like I live in Hilliard, which is just outside suburbs of Columbus, and even in my small neighborhood, um, I, you know, maybe we had two or three EV owners, including us, just about two years ago. Uh, we're now up to dozens of Teslas. We have two Jeep Wranglers, which I'm still mm-hmm. perplexed at. I, I still do a double take when I show up at the, our grocery store has chargers at it and I do a double take. I'm like, that Jeep is in the definite wrong spot. Oh wait. It's that. <laughs> so, so it is, it is really cool. And, and I have had the chance, um, given that we have solar, we do have a lot of solar exceedance in the summer. So I, I actually like text neighbors saying, Hey, if you want charging charge cords out there, go have fun. Um, and talking to them, you, I mean, and you guys experience it too. For them, it's not an environmental driver or or really anything. It's just yeah, it's really fun or or it, it just really made sense. The cost saving is just a complete driver, and that's something I really encourage. Um, you know, EV owners, all of us. I say the royal we very with love right now, but you know maybe we bought into the altruism really easily. We we really see the vision, we feel the passion for it. But in order to continue taking it to that next step, we're we're only now crossing into that five six percent of new vehicle purchases as electrified, which to be clear is a huge deal. For Smart Columbus, the goal was breaking two yeah. uh, percent, and and so the fact that we're even crossing into that in such a quick time is amazing. But to to keep that going, we can't just be based on altruism. It can't, it can't just be oh they're fun to drive and and that's the messaging. It, it just has to make sense in every mm-hmm. simple sense of the word, and you know cost, ease of use, all of it. It, it these are really important value propositions, and you know continuing to drive down the price absolutely helps with that. But there's, there's all those other soft touch moments where, you know, just talk to the regular, um, the regular EV owner that's coming into the new space. They're probably more likely to say, Oh, it just, it just made a lot of sense yeah. <laughs> or <laughs> really super convenient. And and they don't need all the other bells and whistles in terms yep. of the value prop. Yep. Yeah. I, I will say I experienced that. I just recently got back from the Seattle auto show uh, with Chargeway, and I, I met like hundreds of EV owners and a lot of them were recent owners. And I mean, they were just like, it just makes sense. Like you said, you know, it's, it's more fun to drive. It's more cost effective. And to be honest, it's just a cooler car. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Um, and, and that's, it's nice because, you know, you're still getting that passion without like, you know, like the early adopter passion, like it's, it's still there. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. But I agree. It's it's kind of interesting to see where the new owner's perspective are from somebody who's been driving electric for, you know, nine, you know, 10 years at this point. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 We see we see it in numbers, too. It's really exciting. Uh, the, the typical EV owner is quickly getting more diverse. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I hate to rock the boat, but, you know, typically we've been looking at the... Uh, you know, higher, higher income earner, two car household, white male, older white male at that. Um, I just described every, you know, every Tesla owner, uh, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, but no, it's, it's really exciting because that, that also helps to your point, Brendan, how you said, you know, seeing chargers around town and makes, it makes EVs more familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it makes it feel more commonplace. So too, when you're looking at both the vehicle that's pulling up, so you know, be it a Ford badge or or a Nissan badge or what have you, but also the person getting out of it. If I see a, you know, mom dragging their two kids out of the car versus some Silicon Valley bro getting out of his car, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's that's actually another part of it on how it does feel ever more commonplace. I again, I joked about the Jeep Wranglers, but these are yeah. very regular people that yeah, um, they they're. One of them was even just kind of off put. I was like, "Oh my gosh, you got the electric option." He's like, uh, "Yeah, why?" Like, like, you know, it's just like, <laughs> "I like Jeeps. What's the deal?" You know. So it's it's kind of cool to see that evolution happen. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Matt, I I'm a car person, so I need to know your history when it comes to cars. How how did it lead you into <laughs> EVs? Like, what well, what was that one car that you're like, "Wow, this is where I see myself going." <laughs> uh, so this is where I out myself also as a car person. Yeah. Um, I actually have a, a an, ex- an aggressively amateur YouTube channel where it's just how to fix it automotive stuff. Um, which oh, cool. is just It's just a fun side gig of like, yeah, I got to change the oil on this. I guess I'll <laughs> turn on the uh, turn on the video. Um, so so yeah, with with myself. You know, likewise, I grew up loving cars, always around them. Um, I had an uncle that drove a Saab 9.3 Turbo, and to this day, that is still my dream car. Like when I, when when I have an easy EV conversion kit for like a 1992 Saab 9.3, I shall know we have arrived. Uh, and that, that'll be awesome. But um, but no, I mean, I you know, I own the most boring things that. Ford Taurus, Ford Focus. Uh, so we have a Nissan Leaf. We also have a, we do actually still have a gas car, a Nissan Rogue, that we used to tow a tandem kayak around. But oh, nice. um, <laughs> doing a, it's like it in the middle, especially when there was that big car glut, we were really trying to crank the numbers, looking at different like EV options. And I mean, the frank answer is we go to the farthest parts of earth. And and I know everyone says that it's like, oh, I, I can't get an EV because I got to drive to Chicago. And it's like, well, how often do you drive to Chicago? <laughs> um, but no, we love, we love kayaking and doing a lot of other things. So the SUV is very minimally used. We only put like 3000 miles on it, uh, this year, but wow. it's, it's, I promise wow. it is for actual sport utility use. Um, <laughs> but, but no, Brendan, to your point, I mean, I loved it. I, I, I kind of feel ashamed almost looking back on it of, I loved changing the oil and just all the tinkering that comes with vehicles. And I mean, to be honest, I wish I missed it and I really don't. <laughs> so, you know, I still, I still do the oil changes on the Rogue myself. And I'm like, man, this is this is actually such a pain. And I mean, I never <laughs> thought I'd be saying that, but I, I do love the whole tinker aspect with uh, with vehicles. So it was just always kind of, I don't know, kind of um, just kind of a thing. I 
technically started as an engineer in undergrad. I lasted two whole quarters. Uh, so <laughs> that's that's kind of a fun aspect of the current work I do, is I do still get to at least dabble in some of the engineering elements, albeit I will quickly hand it off to a proper certified engineer. <laughs> um, but yeah, it uh, you know I watch Le Mans every year. I I I do love auto culture. That's a it, it's in turn. It, I'm sure you experienced it too. It is kind of fun to see how that culture has continued to change around electrification. Mm-hmm. Initially, it was a threat. You know, Jeremy Clarkson was openly laughing it off on Top Gear, and I wouldn't say there's acceptance necessarily, but there is that. Folks do recognize that wheel is turning, and and so it is kind of interesting seeing how that continues to to turn. Indeed, the the Charger Challenger retirement yeah. that's going to be a weird threshold to cross. I didn't think we'd be crossing it so soon, but uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's interesting. I did not to see. go into the comment section on that article. <laughs> I was oh curious, but <laughs> yes, I'm like that's <laughs> avoid that one. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. So is there one specific EV that like got you really into electric vehicles? One EV. Um, if there's many, you can say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Multiple choice I, answer. <laughs> so I do, I do remember, I, yeah, I can say I'm old enough to remember the, the GM EV one. I, I remember I actually got to check one out. There was a Disney display. I'm not kidding here. Um, at Disney world in Epcot. Um, the GM pavilion, which actually still operates as test track. Uh, Mm -hmm. they actually had a GM EV one on display. And I remember, I remember like it, it just felt so foreign and out there. It just blew my mind that, that you could just have this car that, that doesn't take gasoline and just, just operates on its own. And, you know, actually to kind of play it forward a little bit too, because I do, um, sometimes my mom will ask me like, you know, what, what, got you thinking this way? Was it all the national park trips we did growing up or I was in Boy Scouts? And and I mean, the honest answer is it, it kind of was all of it all at once together. Um, you know, if there was not necessarily a defining moment, but, but probably a moment that really stands clear in my mind where I was like, huh, that's like, that's something that I could see myself really getting passionate about or working in. It was the BP oil spill that happened when I was an undergrad. Mm. And and, you know, that was a little bit of a kind of rude awakening of, yeah, it turns out we, you know, have to get that stuff out of the ground somewhere. Um, and, you know, it, and, and it's, it's, it's those kind of moments that can really stand out to you and, and define that. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily what, you know, gave me a passion for energy security or, or really tackling that, but it, it, it almost was that kind of awakening to really appreciate where elements come from. And, and, you know, we're in that same conversation now, um, be it with uh, battery production, and and indeed, you know, it turns out everything that's made has to come out of the ground somewhere. Typically, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's so usually it, my you know, response is like, we've got to like, if we want to make stuff, we're gonna have to pull stuff out of the ground. Like, we just got to pick the better of the two options. <laughs> exactly. It's it's just all uh, it's all settlers of Catan kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but but no, I mean, it's it it really is. Uh, it's fascinating. You know, going back to the engineering element of it, it's it's fascinating to get to look into just extraction as a whole. And, you know, yes, we need not necessarily all rare earth, but we do need rare earth for electric motors and batteries take, you know, lithium and and all those inputs. But even then it's, it's fascinating to look at that type of market versus the broader OPEC market or or other things like that. It it really is eye opening when when you look into it. Um, (laughs) Exactly. But, but definitely, you know, it's, 
it's interesting most of all to see how quickly these things are, have changed and mm-hmm. and especially the opinion shift around it as well uh, it you know even 10 years ago i i wish i had like a stat off the top of my head on on you know percentage folks that that feel like evs are for them or or that opinion shift uh, one stat i do have actually going back to the ride and drives just to really show that proof in the pudding uh, we did surveys of drivers immediately before they got in the vehicle and immediately after. Mm-hmm. And then we actually did another follow-on um, survey a couple weeks after they did the ride and drive. And it indeed was just to measure how quickly opinion can shift or, or at least how much it resonates. And and we really did see it to the tune of um, anywhere from 20 to 30% opinion shift in terms of saying EVs are for me. And, and even to that point, we would openly solicit them, would you be contacted by a dealer around EVs in your area. And we had 20% voluntarily say that, which um, (laughs) typical industry rate is not 20%. So (laughs) we we must've been doing something right. But um, in the follow-up, the the couple weeks follow-up after, we saw those numbers still holding, which was always so cool. Um, So cool to see. It really did show that just getting to experience it is really fun. So if, if there's like one thing that I love the most about the job, it really is actually just getting to do that interaction with the customer and take them through that journey. Um, I, I'll, I'll be honest, if, if I have like a general advice for anyone trying to sell EVs to someone, <laughs> it's like, just don't talk. <laughs> at, least, <laughs> at least like say, here's an EV and give them the basics, but let them explore it and let them mm-hmm. ask you questions about it. It's, it's fascinating where that can take you. But um, again, going back to the thing of, you might geek out to some things on it that, they really don't care about, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the engineering element, I do love to crack open the hood and show how the motor works and all the battery connections, but sometimes they just want to know where the cup holder is or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask, um, just for my own, uh, curiosity, I saw that you have done a Ted talk, uh, back in, was it 2018 you did it? That sounds about right. 2018 or 17. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the driver going to do that and like getting up on stage and talking about talking about EVs versus just one-on-one with people? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, it was really cool. I was really excited to have the chance to do it. Um, uh, I was actually behind the scenes. I was called up by a friend who was one of the organizers for that TEDx event. And he said, Hey, we have a lot of submissions, but we don't have anything on sustainability. And I was curious if you'd be interested to throw something into it. And, and so I did, and that was a mistake. Cause you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, sh- I should have guessed. <laughs> um, no, it was, it was a really cool experience to go through. Um, I, one, I would recommend for anybody to, to even just, just try to put some thought to paper and, and submit in. And if, you know, if you get through, get ready for a journey, because it, it really is a stand and deliver, very Socratic method of it's you, it's that big red dot. And uh, you do have a couple screens in front of you, but the cameras are always on you. They're not on your screens and your mm-hmm. slides. So it's, it's a, it's less a presentation, more performance. You yeah. have to really have all that down. So there's a lot of months of, of prep and, and refinement that goes into that. Um, so the specific TED talk I gave was on electrify everything, which was a pretty emergent, you know, it was a buzzword that we were starting to throw around. David Roberts wrote his famous article in Vox on it. And so that was where I really wanted to tackle it was 
not just on how electrifying transportation leads to so much energy savings, emission savings, cost savings, but how that's really only the tip of the spear in terms of uh, electrification as a solution. So, you know, taking that then to the home with heat pumps and inductive cooking or just regular electric cooking, um, solar production, you know, the whole, it, it, it all connects together as one e- energy system. Yeah. Um, I realize I'm just like describing the entire Ted talk, so you don't have to watch it. But, uh, <laughs> no, it was, it, it was really fun. Um, yeah, it was really fun to be able to dig into that passion, um, and, and go through it. And yeah, it was, uh, honestly, I was kind of looking around at other Ted talks and there was a lot of talk on energy security or, um, you know, there, there's a very famous Ted talk, uh, that was done by the founder of uh, a better place, which was the Israeli battery swapping company. So mm-hmm. really cool EV, even approaching it from a historic lens, really awesome presentations on electrification through the years there. So very humbled that I even get to say I'm somewhere in the YouTube channel next to them, <laughs> um, on that. But yeah, it was really, really fun experience. Hardest, hardest talk I've ever done. I would really, okay. I honestly don't even know if I'd do another one. It was, it was so <laughs> challenging. I was going to say, do they have like, uh, like, do they give you pointers? Like when you're doing your rehearsal of like, oh, you need to, or you need to rehash this or say this differently or anything like that. Or you just kind of like go for it. Yeah. Yeah. There, um, I still have the scripts on my computer somewhere. We went through something like 90 script revisions. Wow. Um, you, you're given wow. a direct coach. And it's, it's someone else who has done a TED talk typically the year or two before. So it's a very cool mentorship process that you go through a lot of, a lot of practicing, a lot of meeting together. Um, yeah, it, it is, it, it, by the end of it, it's, you're able to do it in your sleep forwards, backwards, sideways. (laughs) Um, and, and it was, it was a really, it, it helps you become a better presenter, better, you know, just think about what you're trying to get across to the world. Um, and very challenging, but very rewarding at the same time. That's awesome. Well, now it all makes curiosity. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say now it all makes sense. Why? So like all the Ted talks I've ever watched are so good because it's just all the effort that goes into it. Yeah. 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 It's the truth. It's the truth. (laughs) That's awesome. If I could ask you guys a question, um, what, and, you know, I'm sure you get to explore it every, you know, every episode, but what, what do you guys get most excited on as you look forward? Obviously you're coming back to the biz and, you know, uh, becoming a part of a part of the team here, but yeah. I guess I'm curious on, um, I'll ask like the, where do you want to see us in five years? Kind of question. Oh, that's a good question. Alex, you want to go first? <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, ideally the, the engineering and kind of like modularity nerd in myself would like to see a lot more consolidation just over the industry as a whole, um, making it making it the same process to start a charge at every charger. We have a we have a unique we have a single port that we use on every vehicle. Like as much as I like the the clean Tesla port, I would love for a like a CCS and I could just plug in anywhere and <laughs> not have to worry about it. So. Um, I think that's that's really what excites me most in in the fact that we're we're so early and can make a lot of those decisions and make it really streamlined going forward. So, yeah, I would definitely agree. I think the standardization of just all aspects of EV ownership will really simplify things for owners. Um, 
I think the thing that excites me the most is just the the sheer movement that we're seeing at the moment. You know, like I've been following the industry pretty much since like 2012 um, and prior. And just the fact that like when I worked at Tesla from 2015 to 2017, there was only like a handful of EVs and 2020 was that magic year. And obviously, you know, things got in the way. Um, <laughs> but now that we're just seeing like an explosion of new vehicles and people getting into this is just exciting. Um, but I really, really hope that EV ownership really simplifies because it can be very complex for people. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, education is a key. I think Alex, you could probably count maybe like 30 times that I've, I've said that in our podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I say that every though. episode. <laughs> yep. It's, but, it's the truth. It's the yes. truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that was nice getting a question. <laughs> yeah. You know, I got it. Got to keep you guys on your toes. Yeah, right. make sure of it. Yeah, I mean, for, for, for what's worth, time. you know, for what's worth, like five years out, I'm, and we're moving in terms of the the implementation work and and other new funded work we do, be it with fill fill uh, philanthropic dollars or otherwise, it's medium and heavy duty. That's that's where we've ever been moving mm -hmm. more. So, um, mm -hmm. like I like I mentioned earlier, it's it's kind of it's like getting to come back and visit old friends, but but it's really exciting that. There's still plenty more work to do on the light duty side, but it is it is a, a very cool moment when I can, you know, we have different total cost of ownership models and stuff that we we run through, and when you have all the light duty come back as a cost savings, that, that's a pretty cool moment to to see happen. And it's like, wow, this, huh, this really worked Actually out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So uh, I think we got a great episode here. Um, do you want to? maybe share like your website or maybe where people can contact you if they're looking at electrifying. Yeah, you bet. So the website is electrificationcoalition.org. Um, I also was mentioning smart Columbus, which there's a lot of awesome, uh, stuff up on the website still for that. So that's at smart.columbus.gov or also at accelerateyourcity.org, I think is the, the, uh, link there, but there's a lot of great stuff there. Um, we kept what we called a playbook. So capturing a lot of different elements I was referring to there, but, um, you can also find me on Twitter, just M Stevens rich. Uh, and, and I'm very, I'm the only Matt Stevens rich in the world. I, I'm very easy <laughs> to track down. I've kind of leaned into that. So, so yeah, more than happy to, to, to connect on anything that, that seemed passionate or wanted to learn more. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on. Uh, we'll have all that link down below too. So it's easier to find. You don't have to type it in and, uh, <laughs> and thanks for being on Matt. Uh, and we'll talk to everybody in the next episode. Cool. Thanks guys. <laughs>